Thank you for checking out this resource from Grace Chapel. If you're interested in finding more resources or you'd like to donate to our ministry, you can do so by going to gconline.org forward slash watch. We're going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this morning, as we do, one thing that I've learned within church environments is Sometimes the pastor can say things and it can trigger something maybe in my spirit, uh, you know, kind of speak to me personally. I've had somebody say, have you been following me around? And I'm like, no, that would be weird. <laughs> but I found this, that a voice so much greater than anything I share today is the voice of God that speaks to you directly. My prayer is that as we gather in here and as we uh, spend some time together, you don't miss his voice above any other voice. And so can we just bow and, and pray to the Lord? Father, we pray, we give you this time. I ask that you would allow your spirit to work powerfully in this place in the hearts and the lives of those who are here in the lives of those who are watching online. God, that we would hear you speak today above anything else. So God, we give you this time and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So if I uh, mention the word hypocrisy, what comes to mind? Doesn't it just kind of make you tickle inside? You're like, hypocrisy, yeah. Well, sometimes what comes to mind is, you know, it's, it's people living two different lives. They live one way here and a different way over there. And what we've learned is that oftentimes that seems, that word seems to be associated with the church. And people would say, well, I'm allergic to church because, and Christianity because of hypocrisy, either in the church or within God's people. And oftentimes I just say, well, you're right. You know, I've been guilty myself. The truth is you need to come help us overcome that. Don't just judge it. Let's come beat it. Let's win this battle. But I've yet to find somebody who says, you know, I just love hypocrites. I just love them and I want to be one. I mean, that's my aspiration is one day I can live two or three different lives. No, you don't find that. You actually find what I found in our culture is that people are longing to see something that's authentic. And I would even say this, to experience something that's authentic, that it's real. And so today we're gonna get into this passage and. I want to just start by saying this. We're not talking about perfection today. Because I will tell you that there have been many times in my life where what I'm doing on the external, on the outside, doesn't always match what I'm doing or thinking on the inside. We've all been there. This is not about judgment. This is about recognizing what Jesus is calling us to and saying, you know what, I'm in. I'm in. I want to chase what's authentic. 
I hope that's your heart here today. This is going to be kind of a hard word, but it's a good word. Jesus is looking at the disciples and he says, I'm going to call you to something distinct, something different. I don't want you to chase all the religious stuff that everyone else is chasing. I'm going to call you to a different path, to a different journey. And he utters these words, and this is where we're going to park today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. He says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We're going to take some time and unpack that today. And if you've ever read through the Sermon on the Mount or you've ever been in this passage before, I mean, initially when we, in Scripture, we read the word purity or pure, we think of moral purity. And the Greek word used here does not mean that, but rather what he's talking about is singleness of heart, being undivided, unmixed. And so as he speaks to the disciples, he's reminding them what I'm calling you to is a life that is authentic. It's unmixed, it's undivided, it's real. And so as we, um, if I could break that down for you a little bit, I would paraphrase it like this. Jesus saying, I desire a heart that is undivided in its devotion and its motivation. A heart that is undivided in its devotion and in its motivation. I had some fun. I was sitting down. I was thinking about, you know, well, how do we, what does a divided heart look like? And there are several things that came to mind. It's probably personal experience. So I'll, uh, I'll share these and see if any of this resonates with you. A divided heart often is when my devotion to God is limited to a part of my life rather than the whole of my life. Oh, I'm passionate for God over here, but it, you know, it's kind of off limits, no trespassing over here. If I had to say it this way, it's like, God, I welcome you into this part of my life, but the area with my friend group, yeah, I'm you're not getting that invitation. My career, yeah, that's, that's my own thing. I'm doing my own thing there. Whether it's my hobbies, what I do for pleasure, what I enjoy, that's, that's my thing. God, you're not welcome there. What would you say you wouldn't welcome Jesus into? I remember as a kid, Watching, you know, my, my dad would say, hey, I, I'm just going to show up, you know, and see how you guys are doing over at so-and-so's house. And I'm like, oh, snap. You know, we better be on our best behavior. And the reality is when dad showed up, in some situations, you were a little nervous. When Jesus shows up, is he welcome? Is he welcome in all parts of your life, not just one, because man, we can, we can kill the church thing, right? Polish ourselves up, look good, and we come out to church. I'm not talking about that. What about the whole, remember? In undivided, in our devotion, in our motivation, that there wouldn't be a separate part of our life that would be off limits that Jesus isn't invited into. The second is, 
We can have a divided heart when our actions and our motives don't match. Have you ever come to church and wish you weren't there? Yeah, thank you. That's, he said no. <laughs> that's a good, that's, that is the church answer. Thank you. That's good. Man, there, listen, as a pastor, there have been moments where I wish I was out on the golf course. You know what I'm saying? So I, I did this once. It was great. It took a weekend off. I decided to play in the club championship, and when I showed up, there were a, there were a number of our church folks there. <laughs> and I remember showing up, and, I, and, and the first thing that happens, they're like, <laughs> I, I should be at church. I know I should. I go, listen, I'm not at church. It's okay. God doesn't measure our spirituality whether we're in church but he does measure our spirituality when we're authentic or if we're divided. If I'm sitting here and I wished I was someplace else, that's problematic. That's a divided heart. I can do something for someone, but my heart can wish I wasn't invested there. That's a divided heart. When our actions and our motives don't match, we have a divided heart. The third one is when I'm trying to feed my worldly desires and pursue God's heart at the same time. I think this is more common than I've ever seen it, is man, I have a heart for God, but I'm also enjoying all of these worldly things, all of these pleasures of my flesh, and I'm trying to have them live in the same house. Man, you wanna talk about conflict? You wanna talk about tension in your heart? That's just not a place you want to live. And so as we look at scripture and we begin to understand this, Jesus says this, and I want you to hear his words in Matthew 22. A lawyer comes to him and he says this, what is the greatest commandment in all of scripture? And you remember this. Let me read it for you. In Matthew 22, 36 to 38, he says this. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with 50% of your heart, <laughs> with 25% of your soul, and 25% of your mind. And you'll be happy. And then I'll be happy. And then we're all happy. No. He said the greatest commandment is this. Love God with all your heart. But what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Love God with all your heart. Don't compartmentalize your heart. And that's a big word when we're confronted with it. But Jesus made it clear that you can't have two masters. In Luke chapter 16, verse 13, he even says this, you cannot serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He reminds us that as much as we think, I can be the exception, I can do this, I can handle this, I can navigate that. No, you can't. God wants us to have a heart, listen, undivided in its devotion and in its motivation. I want to take you to kind of why I think 
Jesus speaks so strongly to this is because of what was currently happening in that day in the religious culture of that day. In Matthew chapter 23, we see Jesus speak to the religious crowd, and I want, I want you to hear this. It's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes that he speaks to here, and he calls them out. This is what he says, listen. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. This is in Matthew 23, verses 25 to 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, then the outside also may be clean. Then he says it again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Man, I read that and I'm like, those bad people. <laughs> you ever read that and just go, man, go Jesus, come on, go after him. And then he goes, I'm talking to you now. Me? Yeah, you, talking to me. And so we have to do our own personal business. I have no problem finding faults of other people. It's like, man, they just need to clean that up. They need to do this right. They need to, man, that is easy. You know what's hard? Is dealing with my stuff. And Jesus is calling his disciples, deal with your stuff. Make sure that you're not following me out of a divided heart. A little devotion to Jesus, a little devotion to the world, maybe a little devotion to the religious system. No, fully chase and pursue after God's heart. I want you to hear this. If you leave with one thing, leave with this. God cares more about who we are internally than what we do externally. Do you hear that? God cares more about who we are internally than what we do externally. And I know there are some people right now going, well, God cares about what we do externally. I'm not saying he doesn't. What I'm saying is this, we get these out of order all the time. We work really hard because people see what's external. They're gonna see our stuff. I'm gonna shine it up, make it look good. You know, when you're the young family, you're coming to church and, and the whole world's falling apart on the way to church and you walk in and, hey, how is everything? Wonderful, praise Jesus. <laughs> no, it's not. The, it was, everything was in shambles like five minutes ago. But we've got to realize that this desire sometimes to put that on and give an appearance that everything's fine. God loves it when we're authentic and sometimes we can say, no, I'm struggling, man. I'm struggling. But God cares more about who we are internally than what we do externally because of this. Because when we get them in the right order, when God is working internally in me to 
allow the posture of my heart to be pure toward God, then all of those externals take care of themselves. But we have worked so hard in behavior modification. We need to do this and do that. No, we need to be this. We need to be the people of God. Then we will do the things of God. If we get that right, then we're heading down the right direction. But if we get it wrong, we very much will be like the scribes and the Pharisees. So as I was contemplating this, I, you know, was looking through scripture and trying to figure out how do we establish and sustain a pure heart? How do we establish that and sustain it? Because I think we can establish it at times, but then it's the second day. It's, it's kind of like a diet sometimes. How many people tell your friends you're on a diet the first day, but you're not going to tell them anything on the fifth day? Why? Because you're not on the diet anymore. The first day is easy. It's this sustaining that is hard. And so as we look at this, I, I wrote down four things, and I hope that this will be what I would call a process of purity that we could instill within the context of our lives that could be used to continue to help us pursuing the heart of Jesus. And the first one is this. The first step is expose, expose. I wanna take you, I'm gonna root it all in scripture to Psalm 139, 23 and 24. And he says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let God see every crack and crevice of your heart. Expose is, is kind of like looking under the bed. You know, sometimes you shove your shoes under your bed. Well, I won't talk for you. I'll talk for me. You know, you, you put your shoes there and all of this, and I don't know how it happens, but there's stuff ends up under the bed. I don't even know how it got there. But we never look there. And so once in a while, I'll get down and I'll look for a shoe that might have got pushed over. And I find dog toys, um, other small animals, you know, <laughs> a meal or two, uh, wh whatever. There's stuff under the bed. But because I don't look under the bed, I'm not intentional in doing that. I don't see it. And I think this is a moment that God can use in our lives and say, God, shine your spotlight on my heart. Let me see as hard as it is. Let me see every part of my heart as you see it. Expose it. Expose it. I think that's the first thing that we need to do. And I, don't, I, I think oftentimes we never really do the first step, and that is just ask God to do business and help us see what he sees. Expose our heart. Are we divided? Or do we have an undivided heart in its devotion and its motivation? The second one is this, cleanse. I love David. Um, just love his...
posture through scripture. It says he was a man after God's own heart. And yet most of us know he was in a situation where he committed adultery, where he, um, you know, basically gave orders for uh, his mistress husband to be killed. I mean, he did some bad stuff. And what happened was eventually he was living his life like this was okay. And I can handle this. I'm the king. I can, I can, you know, pursue God's heart over here and allow my desires to be fulfilled over here. And yet one day Nathan came, a prophet, and confronted him and shared a story with him that really riled him up. And David said, I don't know who that is. But whoever it is, they need to pay dearly for what they've done. He goes, that's you. And the hardest thing that we have at times is to see us. David, a man after God's own heart, could not see himself until Nathan exposed it. But then afterwards, what David did in Psalm 51, one of the greatest passages in Scripture talking about cleansing, is he goes before God and he pleads, God, wash me clean. Purify my heart. Get all of this evil out of me. And I'm going to just read two verses, but I encourage you to read all the verses of Psalm 51. But I love how he speaks in this passage, but in verses um, 10 and 17. In verse 10, he says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Have you ever been there? And I've been there. I'm like, God, I don't know. I, I, I feel this. I, I know that within my heart there are some things that shouldn't be there and I need to do business with you. God, Purify my heart. Purify my mind. And then in verse 17, he reminds us, because David was like, God, what can I do for you? Isn't that our response is, I need to do something for God. And God goes, what I want you to do for me is I want you to work on your inside, not so much your outside. And so David was going to offer sacrifices, and he says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Whew, man, that is good. That is good. When we understand cleansing, the need for it, oftentimes what happens is we go up and we understand the word confession. And so we, we know, God, I have a divided heart. I need to do business with you. And so we confess it. Scripture doesn't just talk about confession. It talks about confession and repentance because the two are vital when we're looking to have an undivided heart. Repentance is this. Confession is admitting the wrong. God, I have sinned before you. Repentance is turning from the wrong. It's turning away. Because if you just confess, God, I have sinned against you, but you don't turn from it, you know where you're going to be next, you know, the next day? It's God, it's me again. Turn, he says. Turn, repent. Confess and repent is the key to cleansing. The third one is not just expose and cleanse, but it's protect. 
Oh, man, I like this. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And uh, in this passage, it says this, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Another translation says it this way, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart. Listen, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. And if I felt like my family was under attack, I don't know who you are. I don't know what your motivation is. But you just ran into a chainsaw because I'm coming after you. I'm going to guard my family with everything I've got, even to my death. And he says, we understand in this life guarding. But sometimes we don't understand what it means to guard our heart. Let me give you two illustrations that maybe you'll understand. We have a big golden retriever that we're watching, my, supposedly my daughter's dog. How did this happen? Um, but it's at our house. And this is a perfect time of year, 110-pound dog running around in the mud. You know, and then coming back in the house. The first thing I'm like, oh, no, no, no entry until we wipe your paws down. And so I have towels by the door. This is just the way it goes down at our house. You know, I'm wiping his paws. Okay, you can go now. Proceed. Um, you know, I care about the house. I don't just like, Leo, come on in. Just jump on everything. Have a free-for-all, man. No, I don't do that. I care about the house. I'm guarding it. You ever get a new car? Get a new car. I don't care if it's new off the lot or new to you. You're going to set some rules. I had kids, and I would say, there is no eating in this vehicle. They're like, nothing? Nothing. Not a cracker. I don't, not a gummy bear. There's no, this is new. We're going to keep it nice. We understand, right? I don't want my house to get dirty, so I'm going to make sure I wipe the the dog's paws. I don't want my car to get dirty, so I put down rules and guidelines, which I end up breaking eventually. <laughs> Give yourself a week. Uh, but the reality is what I've found is there's no one usually standing at the door of our heart saying, I'm sorry, there's no entry here. There's, no, there's, there's not a guard at our heart saying, that's not good for me. That's going to ruin everything. It's not allowed in my heart. Why? Because whatever's in my heart is going to affect everything else in my life. And he's calling us to put a guard up. Stand at the door of your heart and be willing to say, no entry, I'm sorry. I love you, but I love you enough to keep you out. See you. We got to learn to protect our heart. The last one is this. Not just protect, you know, when we talk about expose and we talk about cleanse and we talk about protect. The last one is fill. We got to fill our heart. Because sometimes when you cleanse something, you, you wash it and you, you make it pure again. 
the first thing is there, there's this vacancy that can be filled with either what's wrong or what's right, what's godly or what's worldly. And I, I have seen this to be true. And in that void within our life, if we fill it with the things of God, it will produce the things of God. And the Bible is rich in its imagery. And it reminds us, he says in Ephesians chapter five, he says, be filled with the spirit. Let the essence of your life be spirit controlled, that he would stand guard over your heart. That he would so fill that void within your heart that two things cannot occupy the same space. Let the Spirit of God occupy the space in your heart. And then also allow the truth of God to co-dwell there because the Spirit of God takes the truth of God and he uses it. Let me give you, a, I'll give you one passage. Philippians chapter four. In Philippians chapter four, verses eight and nine, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is uh, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. He's basically saying this. Put the right things in your heart. And what you'll find is then the right things come out of your heart. It's weird how that works. But oftentimes we allow all the, the, the rubbish of the world to find its way into our, our lives and we hope that somehow we produce the things of God. How do we do this? Let the Spirit of God stand guard in your heart and protect it and then fill it with his truth. The last part of the verse says this, it's, it's rich. He says, blessed, remember that word, blessed, means spiritually prosperous. Spiritually prosperous are the pure in heart. And then what's he say? For they will see God. And what's it mean? Like we're going to see God literally? No, I think what he's saying is this, that when our heart is undivided in its devotion and its motivation, then we see God in a way that others don't see him. Sin is not obscuring my view. But I see God at work in my life. I see God at work around me. When my heart is fully devoted to him, I see differently. And so again, I think sometimes when we look at the word hypocrisy, we think, you know, it's, it's you know, something that the world, it's about the way the world views the church. And I, I think what we have to understand is a divided heart, a hypocritical heart. Yeah, it's a bad testimony, but it's way bigger than that. What we often miss is this, how it affects the person. You ever been in that situation where you know inside the divided person you are, and yet you're trying to pursue God's heart? 
it, there, there's, it creates all kinds of unnecessary tension and struggle in your spirit. But the blessing is this. When you have a pure heart, your ability to experience the beauty and the wonder of God and to see him at work, unimpeded by the filth of this world, is amazing. And so it's, it's to learn that. It's to understand that, and then it's to live that. Listen, the world is longing for people to be authentic followers of Jesus. And I think we're longing as followers to experience authenticity in our walk. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The takeaway is this, three words. Try that again. I went three words. Did you notice that? It's like three words. Oh, it's crazy when your mind does these things. Three words. Get this right. Examine. Examine your heart. Take time and do the hard work. See if you have a heart that is undivided or a heart that's divided and begin to do business. And then number two is exercise. Keep your heart spiritually active. Expose, cleanse, protect, and fill. Let that be just something that normally happens within the context of our life. It's not something we do once and somehow it's all better. It's a practice. I need to have God's holy spotlight shining in my life all the time. I need to cleanse. I need to confess and repent. I need to protect. And then I need to fill. Let that just be a way that we begin to live a lifestyle of a follower. So examine, exercise, and then enjoy. Don't you like that word, enjoy? Mmm, come on. This is, it's not what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. Let's get it right. And let's enjoy the beauty of our relationship with him. God, thank you. We praise you. You are good. You are holy. You are right in all your ways. Help us as your people, as your followers, as people who love you, do the hard work of making sure, God, that our lives are pure, our hearts are pure and authentic before you. God, we know we're gonna fail. We're not perfect. This is not about perfection, but this is a posture of our heart. God, help us to get this right so that we could be a people with an undivided devotion and motivation for you. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our great savior, amen.